Welcome to the Worship Place podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Sometimes he comes in the whirlwind and we'll just start dancing all over this place. Sometimes he comes different ways and there's sometimes he comes in a still small voice and if you don't let him come the way he determines to come he will pass you by we often think that the religious ways today often make us believe that Jesus is our butler you will help me get through this situation at work. You will help my car have more gas this week. You will help me. You will be a friend to me when I don't have friends. And though he says he will be these things, you're not in charge. He is. And for you to offer that to him, just like we did this morning, we offered it to him. Come whichever way you want to come. We just want you. We will do anything you want us to do. Just use us. What do you want? What do you want this morning? When you come in his presence and you realize that he is an almighty God, then you get a tiny piece of the concept that he's not your butler at all. You bow to him. He doesn't kneel to your wishes. Even the devil doesn't obey you. Unless you are filled with him. You can say in Jesus' name as many times as you want. But if you are not filled with him, your words are shallow without power. It's like having a cardboard um, shield. Oh, yeah. I'm going to protect myself from the bullets. No. No, you're not. You're unprotected. Because his name requires authority. And authority comes through his presence. So even when you are in deliverance, you must be filled with him in order for the enemy to give one flip what you're saying. Now, sometimes you'll hear stories of people that are newly coming to God, and they, they don't know what they're doing, and even if they do, they just go in Jesus' name, and God gives them graceful power in that moment. And what a great testimony that is, right? My God, when that happens, you're just like, oh, that's, that's incredible. But that's not his rule. So you can't depend on that. Sometimes you'll see somebody that doesn't know anything at all do something, and they'll have done something better than you have done. But even they will have times that, what? It doesn't doesn't seem to work anymore. It's not that. It's that God demands that we grow. So you might have a way of getting into his presence, that works, 
But then all of a sudden it doesn't. And what, what does that mean to you? Give up? Get mad? We've all tried that. Doesn't work. What does work? Sing a new song unto the Lord. Try a new thing. He gets bored with stuff. And he insists that we grow. So the spirit world demands you to be filled with him. I was listening to um, a deliverance minister, and he was saying that he had, gone, he had spent some time more than usual in the presence of the Lord, more than usual fasting. And when he got near this person that needed to be delivered, the demon raged and said, I hate you. You smell like him. This is what the enemy is looking for, power and authority. Now, sometimes you have power, but you don't realize your authority. That doesn't work either. You, when you have power, as long as you may have prayed and fasted and feel really powerful in the spirit, but if you still have a stronghold in your mind that says you're not worthy, God won't use you. And that stronghold hasn't been fasted until it's brought down because it's a stronghold, right? Strongholds don't come down in just one minute uh, rebuke unless it's a miracle deliverance. That happens. Nothing is, doesn't happen. But it's rare. It's more rare, let's just put it that way. A stronghold takes, it was built over time. And you may have to fast, you may have to pray more than you ever dreamed, but you will bring it down through the power of the name of Jesus. You change, how do you know, remember what we said last week, how do you know if it's a stronghold? Because there's behavior that it follows with this stronghold. And so you know, wait a minute, this, this is like, seems like it's part of me now. And so I have to cut this off from being part of me. So I just want you to be encouraged. Move into the presence of God. It's impossible to do without prayer. And if you say, I don't, it's hard for me to pray, that there are so many tools out there to help you pray powerful prayers, spiritual prayers that will enable you to get this concept in your mind and break down the stronghold that says you don't know how. So if there, you're not going to have an excuse when you get to heaven. <laughs> It's, I mean, fabulous. I've, there's a book called Desperate Prayers for Desperate Times from John Eckhart. There's, you got the Stormy O. Martin um, praying series. You have so many prayers that are packed full of the word of God that this kind of just leads you down a road that you can't get lost from. You just keep, and whenever you drift away, you get yourself back on, I'm speaking the word. I'm preaching the word over myself, my family, for our city, of our church. So don't let the enemy tell you you don't know how to pray. And there's even times when someone that prays all the time feels like, I don't even know what to say right now. What do you think tongues is for? Speak in tongues for a solid hour. And let the, the enemy does not understand tongues. Tongues is a holy language between you and God. And when you can't afford for the de devil to hear the plan... You go ahead and let tongues do the interceding for you so that, that God's will will be accomplished in the situations you're dealing with on a day-by-day -day 
basis. God bless you this morning. Stand together. Praise God. And uh, we're going to dismiss the Sunday school at this time. God bless our young people and children. God bless every one of you. Why don't we give our guests a round of applause? We're thrilled to have you with us in the house today. I want to turn our attention to the book of Judges. I want to read two verses and then I'm going to preach. I won't make it through the whole chapter, but we'll just go as far as we can uh, until the Spirit moves. That's when I stop preaching, when the presence of God starts to take over. Judges chapter 17 and verse number 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Then the last verse of the book, chapter 21, verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right. In his own eyes. And between those two verses is some of the most tragic, destructive, painful, grotesque descriptions of human behavior in the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, some theologians say, don't even read chapter 7, chapter 19, chapter 20, because of the horrific. Uh, events that take place. Well, it is the Word of God. And we're going to take a look at this to try to help us not fall into the trap that others have fallen into. I want to preach from the subject, One Nation Out from Under God. Let's pray. Precious God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for the power of your Spirit. We pray that the hand of the Lord would be upon us today and that the Spirit of God would minister helpful things to each and every one in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Shake hands with somebody nearby. Good to see Brother Hicks and Sister Hicks here today. Yeah. Wonderful friends, family. On their way back through from the general conference, I'm sure. Um, let me just say this. I'm not here to make a political a statement of any kind, nor am I, uh, although I do feel a great responsibility for the spiritual condition of our nation, and I do believe that if there's any remedy for the problems that plague our society today, that the church is that answer. The church is the answer for community disruptions or national crises. But I also want to remind us that as is as it goes for a nation, so it goes for an individual or a family. So uh, one family out from under God creates these problems, or one person out from under God's authority can um, set in motion a chain of misfortunate actions, consequences, and events. I don't know about you, but I want to live a good life. Perhaps if the Lord tarries a long life, a healthy life, and a life filled with the blessings of the Lord. 
I trust that you wouldn't be here today if that wasn't what you wanted uh, for yourself. So um, I also want to hopefully help you uh, to unlearn the devil's language. Satan wants you to speak his tongue, his language, and he wants you, he wants to attack your personal identity and your vision for yourself through words. And it's, uh, we'll get into that as we move along. But I'm going to be preaching from the Judges, the 19th chapter, and I asked um, our, our uh, video team back there to just follow me along because it's, I don't want to read uh, a bunch of scriptures back to back with these um, events that are taking place. I'll just want to rather just view them one at a time as we move along this morning. So it says, uh, first of all, that um, in Judges chapter 19 and verse number one, it also begins similarly. In those days, there was no king. And of course, uh, the first thing that happens when a nation or an individual gets out from under God is there is a leadership vacuum. Is there, when there is the absence of God or the presence of God or the word of God, then there is an absence of moral directives and the individual or the nation begins to drift. During the 1400s, there was a dreadful plague that circled the globe. It was called the bubonic plague. Most of us have heard about it. And I think um, perhaps as much as a third of the population uh, of the planet might have been affected by this dreadful uh, scourge that visited the earth. Well, the consequences of the plague were such that all the religious and social and economic systems of the world were just hurled into confusion and uh, authority disintegrated, social rules broke down, various fanatics began to emerge, and persecution uh, started happening amongst people whom perhaps were presumed to be uh, the cause or uh, the culprits in the spread of the disease. But I want to say this, that it had an impact on the leadership of those that were in charge. Because the systems were all uh, broken because of the plague and the, uh, and the uh, pain and the loss that was incurred, um, one writer said that the leaders became insular. In other words, they begin to circle the wagons around themselves and they became more concerned with just surviving this dangerous onslaught than helping anyone else around them. And I want to say, we know that we're under a demonic attack when all we're interested in is self-preservation. Can I tell you the best way to save your own neck is to save somebody else? If you're worried about backsliding and you don't know what to do to undergird your spirituality, find someone who is in worse shape than you and pray them back through to the Holy Ghost and teach them a Bible study and by helping them, you will in fact be helping your own self. In times like these, the world needs moral and spiritual leadership. And if they don't get it from us, 
They're going to get it from the agencies of hell. Amen. So somebody needs to stand up and take your authority in the name of Jesus and make a difference in our world. Uh, secondly, uh, leader, the courage of the leaders uh, failed. In other words, uh, they felt like the most important thing to do was to be personally safe. And there are a lot of people that think you can be saved and safe at the same time. This is another lie hatched, uh, amen, from uh, the realm of darkness. The degree to which you feel safe is the degree to which your status as being saved is in peril. Jesus never promised us that we would be safe. As a matter of fact, he said that they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. That's right. And that if all the world speaks well of you, then you better be careful because you are catering to the wrong crowd. Now, don't misunderstand me. We shouldn't be obnoxious or mean or divisive or critical or something like that. People should just be, uh, uh, they should have it be impacted by your purity, Amen. by your positive attitude, yeah. by your faith in God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Yeah. We need to be courageous. Also during this time, leaders let their uh, ethical uh, uh, scruples slip. In other words, because the world was in chaos, I guess they felt like since everything was just gone, as it were, to the devil, what is the point in even trying? As a country, I see that we find ourselves in very similar circumstances today. And it's very easy for God's people to wash their hands of society and to say, you guys have gone over the deep end. Uh, I don't want any part of you. We can't help you. Let me say this. We can help them. Jesus came to a world that was so full of demonic activity that you can hardly turn a page in your New Testament, amen, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John without Jesus encountering, amen, contesting and overthrowing some kind of prince of darkness. And so every day, you need to see God sending you out as an agent to bring deliverance to a world in chains. In the name of Jesus, our world's only hope is a Holy Ghost-filled child of God coming to them in the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. Put your hands together if you believe what I'm saying. One historian said that the governmental leaders during the time of the plague became risk-averse. And uh, this past general conference was, um, was uh, validating in so, on so many levels. For the last few years, we have been pursuing the path of allowing God, re actually releasing ourselves to the word of God to be used and the gifts of the spirit to be, uh, uh, to be sensitive in uh, 
a, a prophetic and in um, operation of the gifts and in and casting out devils, all the things we read about in the New Testament uh, church. And lo and behold, uh, they had four prophets Friday night all together on the same night and brought such a glory of God down that it made me realize that this isn't just happening to us in a local congregation, but it's happening to a movement. Hallelujah. And that's good news for America. It's good news for the world. And it's great news for the church. Hallelujah. And Jeff Arnold taught a lesson. And one of the things that he said in that lesson was he redefined faith. And you know what he called faith? He said, uh, taking risk. It's impossible to say that we believe that God can as, and remain barricaded behind the safety of, uh, uh, and the shield of our own self-protective devices. I want to say to somebody today, we're going to give you a chance to be released from the powers of darkness, to be set free from sickness and pain. And we're going to do it with courage and faith. First of all, we're not healers. There's only one healer in the house. His name is Jesus. But we're going to place Jesus in the center of this altar today and give you a chance to see what God can do in your life. Amen. Through faith. Put your hands together. And so here, because there was no king, amen, amen, in the land, everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. But that which was right in their own eyes happened to be the cruelest kind of wrong. And I want to uh, suggest to you that God did not call us, amen, to do what is right in our own eyes, but to do what's right in the eyes of Almighty God. And so the events that transpire in the 19th, 20, 21st chapter of, um, of, uh, of Judges are compelling, to say the least. But I want to say this. It involves the tribe of Benjamin. And it's interesting when you note the tribe of Benjamin is the tribe from which the first king, Saul, was derived. So I want to say this. The time of the Judges is 450 years. So this must have happened uh, uh, early enough in the time of the judges that the sour taste of the actions of the tribe of Benjamin had been somewhat, uh, you know, uh, erased. Otherwise, they would have never, uh, 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 they would have never uh, validated or wanted uh, their first king to come from that tribe. I'll say more about that later. But suffice it to say this, the enemy, when the enemy suspects that something is going to emerge from a particular people. He will do everything he can to spoil the bloodline. When God sets his sight on moving amongst a particular segment, amen, of God's people, the enemy will try to attack and try to overthrow and try to undermine what God wants to get started. But I want to say this without any apology. Yes, we have got something started. Yes, the enemy is all in a rage. Yes, some of you will find yourself, amen, in personal battles that you've never experienced before. But if you'll stand still and let the Lord fight your battles. 
you will discover that on the other side of this resistance is going to be a breakthrough that's going to blow your mind and that's going to set multitudes free. Is everybody ready for end time apostolic revival? Hallelujah. If you are, give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise. And I'd like to say, uh, the tribe of Benjamin disgraced itself greatly in the ensuing chapters. But the good news is uh, God can raise up a king from the fodder, the brokenness, the recklessness, the debris, the tragedy of human failure. And if God could raise up a king from the tribe of, uh, uh, from the Gibeonites, then he can raise up a noble prince, a noble young person, a noble woman of God. I don't care what your past is. Don't let your past limit your future. That's the devil talking to you trying to use your history against you. Well, you know what my answer is to my history? God's prophecy. Come on, hallelujah. You can be anything God says you can be in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> so everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. And one of the first things that we recognize is that there was a Levite. When you read in the 19th chapter very early on, maybe the second verse, there was a certain Levite who married, who had a certain concubine who went to uh, a certain house and the concubine's father uh, kept them as guests. And there were evil men. The Bible calls them sons of Belial. All of these will emerge as we move through these verses. The first point I want to make is when people do that which is right in their own eyes and there is no king, amen, reigning over them, then, amen, their personal identity becomes lost. Almost nobody is called by name in the 19th chapter of the book of Judges. Why? Because when the devil has his way, people get confused as to who they are. We are living in a time of confusion like perhaps has never been known in the world today. Now, I want to say this with compassion and with sensitivity in order to make this point. I got this off of Healthline.com. It is not a religious website. It is a health-oriented website. And in this website, it talked about the different genders that are available today. Let me just read a few of them. Agender, someone who doesn't identify with the idea or experience of having a gender. Ally gender, non-binary, gender identity that doesn't fit into any gender scheme. AMAB, acronym meaning assigned at male birth. Androgen, someone androgynous, both masculine and uh, feminine characteristics. Aporogender, an umbrella term. Bigender, binarianism, di body diaspora. BOI means boyish, but it's spelled BOI. Cisgender, that means the gender assigned at birth. Cishet, 
That means cisgender and heterosexual. Cisnormativity, cissexism, demiboy, demigender, demigirl, dyadic, feminine of center, feminine of presenting, feminine FTM, gender apathetic, gender binary, gender diaspora, gender expansive, gender expression. Then there's gender neutral pronouns, they, them, theirs, z, zer, hers, z, zer, zers, z, them, zers, with x's. What am I trying to say? It sounds to me like this is legion speaking. If somebody is experiencing anyone or, and I stopped, hey, this went on and on and on. My point is, if you are experiencing any or all of these conditions, I offer you hope. We won't tell you there's no hope. We won't tell you you're stuck with it. We offer to you love and compassion and faith and hope. But we want to tell you this, what you have to do to find deliverance and get back under divine control is stop speaking the devil's language. In the beginning, the first exercise that Adam and Eve, that Adam had was to name all the animals. Our God is a speaking God, and God has ordained that the programming language of the mind is words. And so he wanted to listen as Adam through words, not only categorize the animals, but he began to, uh, to enhance his own mental prowess. If you want to memorize something, amen, you want to memorize it word for word, God bless you if you can do it in silence. I cannot, but if I will repeat it out loud again and again and again, the words will program themselves into my mind. And so when they came back from the flood and all of society was living in the plain of Shinar and the Bible says they were all of one language and God said, before I can separate for me a people, I've got to confuse their languages so that I can get my word. Oh my God. What is happening to us today is we are treated to this enormous, confusing vocabulary. In or, you, what is this doing? It's confusing the mind, and it's confusing the soul, and it's trapping the spirit. But I want to say one word, amen, that can, that, can, that can free us from all of these grammatical appendages. And that one word is the name of Jesus. For at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord hallelujah hallelujah so you need to speak the name of Jesus you need to say I love you you need to say I forgive you you need to say I'm sorry you need to praise God with the language of victory and triumph. You need to quit calling yourself names. 
I said, you need to quit calling yourself names. God didn't call you a nobody. God didn't call you a loser. God didn't call you hopeless. Come on, in the name of God called you son. God called you daughter. God called you family. God called you forgiven. God called you more than a conqueror. Oh, my God. Come on, somebody. I refuse to speak the devil's language. I'm not going to call myself names. We are not many. We are one. We, are the, we have been grafted into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. And so when everybody does right in their own eyes, and there's no king, amen, in the land, even players get played. Judges 19, verses 1 and 2 reads like this, And it came to pass in those days there was no king in Israel, but there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of the Mount Ephraim, who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah, and his concubine played the whore against him. Like I said, when there's no king in the land and everybody does that which is right in their own eyes, what's this Levite doing with a, with a girl on the side anyway? I mean, it's one thing for the kings to set a bad moral example, but when it's caught a hold of the ministry, but when there's no king in the land and everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes, it impacts the ministry just like it impacts the nation. And so you got an unknown Levite with a concubine. And the next thing you know, the concubine conks the Levite by going out on him, being unfaithful to him. So the player got played. I said, nobody wins when there's no king in the land. You might think you know how to play by the rules, but nobody wins when there's no king in the land. Evil has a way of curling back on itself. And the next thing you know, the thing that you want to get by with, you can't get by with it because we're living in a time of chaos. So when there's no king in the land, you know the old phrase, there's no place like home? Look at verse number two. And he went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem, Judah, and was there for four months. And did you know that when, when the Levite came to the concubine's father's house, that the father doesn't take his daughter's side, he takes the Levite's side and begins to wine him and dine him and kept him for five days. And the daughter came home to find refuge because of the Levites' wrath against her. But there, there's a phrase, there's no place like home, but when there's no king in the land, there's no home in place. When you come home, you come home to animosity, to difficulty, to resistance. And then her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly to her, to bring her again, verse number three, having his servant with him and a couple of asses, and she brought him to her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. My, my, my. 
though the father invests in the Levite and totally ignores his daughter. It's amazing when there's no king in the land, human sentiments become so distorted that people who should treat each other with kindness don't or won't or can't. What am I trying to say? When everybody does that which is right in their own eyes, religion isn't safe, the home isn't safe, society isn't safe. That's why there needs to be somebody who honors God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Hallelujah. Praise God. When there's no king in the land, neither destiny nor prophecy mean a thing. Look at verse 11. And when they were by Jebus, so they left the concubine's father's house, and it was late in the afternoon. And now night was coming upon them in verse number 11. And the servant said to the Levite, Come, I pray thee, let us turn into the city of the Jebusites to lodge in it. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. What he didn't realize was that was prophecy trying to grab him and pull him into the current of the future. Because the city of the Jebusites was Jerusalem. Because it would eventually be the city of the great king. It would be the place of the temple. It would be the most hotly contested and most valuable piece of real estate in the entire world as it is today. Where all of the Abrahamic faiths wish that they could just have it all to themselves. But you see, prophecy, when there's no king in the land, and when people do that which is right in their own eyes, and prophecy calls you, you can't feel it, you can't see it, you can't respond to it. You just go back to the habit of what you know. Let me say this. If we stay in the realm of what we know, all we'll get is what we've had. But I feel like that if we'll make God our king, and if we'll do according to the word of the Lord, amen, the horizon is going to open up where God is going to lead us to our destiny, praise God. Come on, somebody, do you want to go somewhere in God? Do you want to become something for God? Do you want to make a difference in this world for God? Then make God your king. Make God your king. And if we... Don't let destiny reach out to us and we close our eyes to the opportunity of the future calling us. Amen. We'll be following the spirit of habit. I want more than habit. I want more than habitual worship. I want more than habitual prayers. I want more than habitual godliness. I want a realm, enter into the realm of being spontaneously accountable and responsible to the move of the presence of God as it moves upon us. And I want us to, I want us to stand today. I'm going to make an appeal to you. So this is a long story. But it culminates about midway through where the prophet or the uh, Levite, his servant, and his concubine find shelter in a stranger's house in the land of Benjamin. The reason why I said that Benjamin exhibited some of the most hostile behavior because it was here in fashion as was found in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah that they demanded 
to have the man that they saw lodging, this stranger in town. They wanted to have their way with him. And both the owner of the home and the Levite protested, no, 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 you can't do this. And they, they came and pressed against the door. I want to say this. I want to say this is why we need a king. This is why, amen, we need to do what's right in the eyes of God. Because if we get out from under God, demons will come knocking at your door and they won't stop until they break your door down. Maybe there's somebody who's already had their door broken down and you feel like that you've been victimized by the powers of darkness. I give you this message today as a beacon of light. Not to tell you, amen, that you're gonna, your life is messed up, you're going to live with it. Oh no. I'm telling you, there's a deliverer in this place and you can come out from under it in the name of Jesus. And so they, to appease the demand of the crowd of sons of Belial, they tossed the concubine out to them. The Bible said they had their way with her all night long. And in the morning, when the Levite opened the door, expecting to be able to let her in, they found her dead on the threshold. You're not dead on the threshold today. You've made it all the way in. You've made it into the ark of safety. Now the spirit of the Lord wants to set somebody free. The Lord says that in order to make his point, the Levite took the corpse of his wife, chopped it up into 12 pieces. And he sent a piece to each of the heads of the tribes of Israel to make his point how evil the tribe had, of Benjamin had become. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, you remember the fellow in the Gadarenes who spoke the devil's language to himself and said he couldn't even tell Jesus what his name was. He just said, we are a legion for we are many. Remember what else he did? He cut on himself. I want to speak to somebody who's been cutting. You've been cutting yourself down. You've been chopping yourself in pieces. You've been allowing the devil Pray in the name of Jesus, take that satanic knife off of somebody's soul. You're not going to cut them not one more time. They're not going to call themselves another infernal name, not one more time. But they're going to be given a new name. They're going to be given a name that God gives them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the, if, you've been, if, you, if you have been disrespecting your own self and the dignity of your own humanity has been trod underfoot because you have believed about yourself what the devil has told you you are, there is relief from that spirit. There is relief from that spirit today in the name of Jesus. 
You can come out of that. My God, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. I want us to lift our hands and pray right now. In Jesus' name, we pray right now. Lord, somebody, somebody will be delivered. Somebody will be set free. Someone has been practicing self-harm. Somebody's been harming themselves by the things they call themselves. Somebody's been harming themselves, maybe even physically. In the name of Jesus right now, I pray, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. When there's no king, then anything is possible. But there's a king in this house today. And we've come under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of... If you need something to change, and you need it to change now in your circumstance and in your life, I want you to come forward. And under the authority of King Jesus, he's going to give you your life back. He's going to give you freedom and deliverance. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. If you need a deliverance. Oh, my Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If you can't stop telling yourself things that you know are not true, you need a deliverance. If you can't stop calling yourselves names, amen, that are not true, that only make you feel less of a person, you just need a deliverance. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If you need a deliverance today, would you lift your hand of some kind? Maybe you're trapped in a mind and you need out. There we go. Several right here. Several right here. Some of you. Some of you find someone here. Let's 